the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, powerful stories than The Athletic. With comprehensive coverage and insightful analysis from everybody who matters. Such an incredible staff over there now. You have to like at least somebody there at this point. There's just too good of a, a writing, reporting podcast staff over there. Download the app, follow your favorite teams and leagues, and get a personalized feed of ad-free content every single day. For all of this and plenty more, visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year subscription today. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy Sunday, Monday, whenever you're listening to this. A couple of quick topics today that I'm hoping to fly through. I'm going to recap NFL free agency. I realize that seems untimely, but we're 12, 13 weeks in here and it's been plenty of substance. There's been plenty of substance. Yes, there's going to be some injuries to talk about here, but basically I'm going to keep it simple. I'll push out some more in in terms of articles, but top 10 overall contracts from last free agency for the NFL. What do they look like right now? Respective teams, success, And how are those contracts kind of bear out over the next couple of years with guaranteed dollars and things like that? Then the back end of the show, Scott Allen joins. We're going to discuss this whole crazy November Major League Baseball situation. So not so much the dollars that were put out there because that's been made well known now. But how does Major League Baseball sort of recreate this? And if it's not exactly like this, what are the goods and the bads from what just happened with a big November leading up to the deadline of the CBA? Maybe what can we take from that? and reshape this offseason and some of the in-season stuff as well, just to make Major League Baseball a little bit more marketable, a little bit easier to follow, and a little, little bit give us a little bit more of a reminder or something to hang our hat on throughout the long year, because it is a 12-month sport, but so few fans actually treat it that way. You know, there's a cutoff. You know, I'm not going to watch baseball until July, blah, blah, blah. I'm done with it in November. I'm not coming back till February to even think about my team or my fantasy roster. There's just a lot of ins and outs with Major League Baseball. So how do we sort of fix that? Some ideas to get that on the board as well. So that's the back end of the show after some NFL free agency. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Balance Bridge Funding, providing cost-friendly capital solutions to athletes since 2015. Balance Bridge has dedicated professionals who understand the industry and can customize the repayment plan catered to your client's situation and objectives. Borrow wisely, avoid broker fees, and there's no penalties if you pay it back early. Whether your client is currently under contract and needs a bridge against their guaranteed earnings, a free agent looking to invest, or looking to borrow money for any other reason, let Balance Bridge take a look, provide a solution, and be a resource for you and your client. Visit balancebridge.com today. That's balancebridge.com. All right, a 2021 NFL free agency recap. Why am I doing this? Well, A, the NFL decided this morning to wake up and tell us that the maximum salary cap number that was floated a couple of months ago for 2022 is in fact going to hit. So the $208.2 million that we've been projected on Track based on that max number uh, a couple months ago is going to be, in fact, the number we believe. Everything, every, All the thresholds that had to be hit were hit and probably exceeded, if I had to guess. So we're going from 182 to 208.2. It's a gigantic jump. Um, good news for some teams, really good news for other teams, you know, teams like the saints who are still 60 under right now. Uh, you know, that's trouble, but there's plenty of teams who are going to benefit from this greatly. Certainly the bad teams that didn't do a lot of spending last year and are trying to roll things into next year when they want to make their move. But look, here's your top five projected cap space teams, the chargers, strong team, the dolphins, strong team, the Jaguars, the Washington football team, and the Cincinnati Bengals. That's your top five space. That's uh, now look, no draft pools built into this, no restricted tenders built into this yet. There's a lot of unknowns with those kind of numbers. You know, there's franchise tags coming, there's plenty of sign backs coming. We've got a third of what these rosters are going to be. You know, the Chargers have 30 players under contract next year, they need 90. So take all this with a grain of salt, but all things concluded with what we know right now for the 2022 rosters, that's your top five. You know, like I said, Saints are in trouble. Packers are in trouble right now. Cowboys are in trouble right now. And the Vikings are under as well. So those are your four teams that have some work to do. I'm not worried about anybody, including the Saints. I realize the Saints have no cornerback, probably are trading their, w, their, their first wide receiver. They'll probably restructure Kamara. 
but they've got a lot of mouths to feed in that roster. So yes, there's going to be some cap creativity as you, as per usual, but I think we're going to see a heck of a lot of roster movement as well from the Saints, probably from the trade, if I had to guess. So just a quick early outlook of 2022, kind of knowing what we know now from the NFL this morning. All right. A quick look back at players who are certainly locked in for 2022 because they were the major free agent contracts from 2021. Top of the list is a slam dunk. It's Trent Williams, who signed the biggest contract this past offseason, the biggest offensive tackle contract, offensive lineman contract in NFL history. Big time guarantees, big time structure, but he went to the San Francisco 49ers, which means going forward, it's on a rolling guaranteed structure. Every April 1st, something new happens. That's just how the 49ers do their business. He got a ton of money up front. He did plenty of good work there. So it's a, you know, 55 and change guaranteed, practically speaking, but he's going to make over 60 over the next three years. So through 2023, he's basically fully locked in at 60 million plus. And oh, by the way, is he worth it? (laughs) Um, Not only is he the top rated offensive tackle, according to Pro Football Focus, he's the top rated player and it's not even close. He's over a 98 grade right now. I believe number two is 94. If I I quickly kind of scanned through things, he is far and away the top graded Pro Football Focus player in in the league right now. So 33 years old, still doing it. One of the big reasons Garoppolo has been able to stay up on his backside is uh, this guy right here. So certainly worth every dollar that's been spent. And he's going to be a big, big plan for this team for the next two seasons with Trey Lance taking taking things over most likely next year. So certainly worth it. No complaints from anybody on that one. Number two is Bud Dupree. Wish I could say the same about this one. Unfortunately, it's been kind of what some of us expected after the injury out of Pittsburgh. They were hoping for a quick recovery. Tennessee took a chance. They did. They needed that edge rusher. You know, a lot of us had Matt, Matt Judon pegged to go there, a couple of other players. This is the one that ended up with two starts and seven games played. He's got one sack, seven tackles, and he's been on the IR the past couple of weeks with a knee injury. Not sure if he can return from that yet. Uh, you know, they expect him to, but we'll see. He's been kind of banged up now for two and a half years. So we'll see what this, what happens here. But, you know, it's only one more year fully guaranteed in this deal. This wasn't a barn burner blockbuster contract. It was big, and they're going to have a two, you know, a two-year bath of cash if he can't stay healthy. But one more year fully guaranteed, and then there's a clear out after that. So keep an eye on that one for sure with Tennessee. Joe Tooney. Obviously, Kansas City had to change up that offensive line. They did so basically in wholesale mode. And Tooney was the major contract that was signed on from a free agent standpoint. He's been great. You know, he's never going to be the best guard in football. It's just not what his ceiling is. But he's top 10 almost every year pro football focus-wise. I believe he's 11th right now. I expect that to kind of tinker around between the top 10 mark. But for five straight years, this is who he is. And those are the kind of guys you really love and, and you feel okay overpaying a bit for because you just know consistently that they're going to be available, reliable, and above average in pretty much everything they're doing. So it's a great sign from Kansas City. It was from day one. He's fully guaranteed through 2022. And for the most part, for all intents, you know, some 2023 stuff locks in this March. So he's got two more years basically locked in with Kansas City and no complaints from their end, by the way. Kenny Galladay, uh, it took a while for him to find a contract, which me- generally means you know it's not going to be quite the contract he was expecting. Except it was; it was exactly the contract that you know overinflation free agency generally gets a, a weapon like this. He got the eighteen million a year. He got forty million up front, and he got fifty four practically guaranteed. It's absurd for a guy who had the injury stuff, who was coming off a bad Lions team. You, you were just hoping that. He just needed to get into a relevant offense and then he'd be able to find his sea legs. That certainly has not been the case. Now, look, it's a bad year for the Giants as a whole. Injuries, everything, quarterback play, the works. And there's going to be major changes. But one of those changes is going to be the GM. My guess is he's going to get his $10 million fully guaranteed next year and, and, and then continue on. And then, you know, he'll be a clear decision after 2022. But We've seen new GMs come in and really try to reshape things quickly. There's a very good chance that they look for a trade partner here to take on that 2022 guarantee. They take a bath on some of the dead cap that they gave in terms of signing bonus. And they move on and start over with some younger, cheaper pieces. So this is not a stable situation, in my opinion, at all. Anything in New York right now. I mean, Barkley's extension, who knows? Daniel Jones, who knows? Galladay's up there now in this who knows with a lot of these questions. So... I, I would put new GM meaning big question marks for anybody in, in a Giants uniform right now. 
Corey Lindsley, another offensive lineman in your top five free agent contracts here. Packers loss is the Chargers gain. Man, that's really all I have to say about that. The Packers knew what they were losing. They knew they had to shed some money here and there just to kind of keep things afloat, not knowing what Aaron Rodgers' status was at that time anyway, by the way. Um, Chargers got a good one here, and then they know it. He's a top five center. He has been for a while. He, they were paid a little bit in terms of center money to get him, but that center market has exploded ever since. So here's the thing. He's only $9 million next year. So what you overpaid in terms of front-loading this contract with the bonus you're going to get some value next year out of him. So it's, you know, it's 9 million next year. And then it's basically three for 36 option years after that to finish it off. There's no guarantees after that. So really good work by, uh, by the chargers, getting their guy, building that into your offensive line for Justin Herbert. We'll see if they can get back to winning and, and uh, make, make some, the most out of it. If not this year, certainly next year as well. Trey Hendrickson come one of those new Orleans saints cap casualties. There's no question. I mean, he had 13 and a half sacks last year kind of found his sea legs as well. And it was all about, do you believe that player is that player? Cincinnati was the right team to take a bet on him. They were in dire need of help there, in dire need of shaking up a bunch of their positions defensively to kind of you know combat and complement an offense that they had drafted well with. Henderson steps in. He's got 10 and a half sacks heading into week 13. So he's been great. Three force fumbles, tons of solo tackles. He is never going to be the flashy, you know, named edge rusher in this league. He's just not that kind of player. He's not the complete package, but he has figured something out with himself specifically, especially to get to the quarterback. And that is devastatingly, <laughs> you know, valuable to any team. So since he is extremely happy to make this move, it's 16 million a year for the first two and then pays you go guarantees after that. So one more year of guarantees. And then since he's got all the control with this contract, which means very good things for that team. Speaking of which, Matt Judon joins New England as what we would consider an overpay for the Patriots. But everything they did this offseason was an overpay. They knew what they were doing, and they were banking on the fact that they were going to be able to put this thing back together quickly. And certainly with Mac Jones, they've been able to do that. I would, I would put Matt Judon as the number two most important acquisition of this offseason right behind Mac Jones. He's been that good. He's been that consistent, even though the advanced metrics have never liked this guy. I mean, the PFF grades, the DB, none of it has ever gone well from a complete package standpoint for Judon in terms of just raw statistics. He's got 11 and a half sacks heading into week 13. He's fully guaranteed at just 12 million next year. It's all good news for New England. Everything they've done this, this offseason has kind of hit. And you can say that this next guy, John o. Smith, has been a bit of a bust. I don't agree with you. Now, he's overpaid, but you can say Hunter Henry's underpaid. So if you were throwing baloney at a wall and saying, we're just going to throw $50 million in guaranteed money at two tight ends because we have to get two valuable tight ends in the system. And if one of them can catch balls and one of them can be the intangibles guy, we're going to win out in the day. That's exactly what they have here. So yes, John o. Smith is, is overpaid. He's, you know, Henry Henry got 7 million less guaranteed. John o. Smith's going to have over 10 million. I think it's 10 and 11 over the next two years, fully guaranteed, you know, maybe a year and a half of that's fully guaranteed right now. The rest locks in later. He's got 25 catches and one touchdown through 12 weeks in New England. He's just not the guy right now. But as we know with New England, there's a different guy every week. Every week. At some point over the next six to seven weeks and into the postseason, John o. Smith's going to be the guy. You know, six catches, 90 yards, two touchdowns in the red zone. He's got that kind of talent. We saw it with Tennessee for you know three, four years. It's just he's being overshadowed. He's being utilized differently. And he hasn't had that good of a start. It's fine. Belichick's going to work this in on a, on a week-to-week basis. So yes, there's no question they overpaid. So if you're telling me, am I, am I looking at value here? No. But the whole package that New England, I mean, they, they underpaid Judon, definitely. They're getting crazy value on Mac Jones. You know, the Bourne contract looks smart. The Aguilar contract looks slightly overpaid, but pretty smart. There's a lot of good with what they did with that $162 million in guarantees this offseason. I wouldn't put this as a bust by any regard. It's just simply a slight overpay for a position of importance to this offense. That's it. Carl Lawson was injured before they got the ground running here in New York with the Jets on three for 45 million, 30 of that basically practically guaranteed. They paid him 15 million. He's got the Achilles injury. As long as he can get back to the fold uh, on 15 million more next year, they need it. There's a lot of good things happening. Small, small little pieces sort of turning over, you know, one of which I think will be Zach Wilson by the end of the season. They're going to need the pass rush. So expect Carl Lawson back to play out that last guaranteed year 
And uh, it could be a big turning point for that defense. William Jackson was always a nice underrated piece in Cincinnati. Never had tons of stats, not a big interception guy, just a good kind of a, you know, smart, intelligent quarterback safety in the backfield there. That's what he's been for Washington. Now he's got a knee injury to keep him out a couple of weeks, but the production's about the same. He's on pace to basically have the exact same numbers this year as he did last year with Cincinnati. So it's an overpay at the end of the day. I mean, they gave him 26 million guaranteed. It's also a one-year contract. And a lot of these contracts after the top five can be one-year contracts if you're willing to take on some dead cap and cash. If they don't love the fit, if this is the wrong kind of fit for this roster, it's a tradable deal. And they can move on from Jackson as needed, and there'll be plenty of teams looking for defensive, you know, defensive backs to pull in. So they, they may be taking a, an expensive one-year deal on William Jackson with this contract. They could do a, a, a decent two-year contract with it, pay the $26 million guaranteed over two years, and then cut their losses after that. This is a nice player, though, but this is who he is. And, and it looks like they were simply trying to get depth at the position with a bit of an overpay in free agency, and that's exactly what they're getting. So it's inter- this is one of those positions with Landon Collins, with William Jackson. You know They're going to have to address it one way or another. I think one of those two guys is off the roster next year, no question in my mind. That's your top 10. Plenty of other values and busts down the list, but in terms of big-time money, that's what we're looking at here. You know, everybody here had about $25 million plus in fully guaranteed money on this free agent contract. So it wasn't a huge free agent year, as we know, and I can give you that list, actually, because there's going to be... You're going to see a lot of rumblings right now with that salary cap that last year was a year that nobody spent money. So I just want to put some stats to that, okay? <laughs> because I'm not going to go on my rant. You, you know where I stand on this. I can't believe that we, we just played out a 182.5 salary cap when it certainly was not necessary. You know, you are, you are looking at, at numbers in their immediacy without guaranteeing the projections that were coming. We all knew that it was going to take a month and a half to get this NFL revenue stream right back to where it was and then on the path to exceed everything possible, right? Streaming money, TV money. It was all right there in front of us. And we all just accepted the fact that the league had to drop the salary cap and that you know teams weren't going to be able to spend this offseason. Everybody had to pinch and, and, and crunch. you know. And if they're not going to spend cash, we shouldn't give them a lot of cap to work with either to kind of force, force them to do so because there is a, you know, a minimum floor on cap spending percentage-wise. Here's the problem. The last five years of free agent spending, total value, 2017 was 2.3 billion. 2018 was 2.5 billion. 2019 was 2.6 billion. 2020 was 2.3 billion. That was before the pandemic. All right. I guess it was kind of exactly at the same time as the pandemic, right? Like March 13th was when the the uh, the NBA started canceling everything. By March 16th, that first week, yes, there was some serious hesitation happening. You know, the markets were tanking, things like that. So you can understand that immediacy, literally the week of the pandemic hitting the United States, that there's going to be some shell shock. And there was. It reverted back to 2017 numbers. It's not like it dumped off a billion. It's 2.35 billion in spending in 2020 free agency. All right. And oh, by the way, that was the CBA. Do you remember the CBA got done like an hour and a half before free agency started? And we didn't even know the salary cap. There was a mess. So there was a lot of turmoil happening at that point in time, self-inflicted and then obviously pandemic inflicted. So you can understand the dip there. But 2021, what we're talking about here, when we had to drop the salary cap down to 182.5, 2.65 billion, the, the most by a lot in the past five years. 300 million more than 2020. So what are we talking about here? 46.5% of the 2.6 billion was fully guaranteed at signing. One of the better numbers we've had in the history of the NFL. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? And now the salary cap gets to jump up an absurd amount, $26 million because we're back to normal. That's just damaging. That's damaging. I mean, good for the free agents who are about to hit the open market because teams are going to have to spend like banshees now. And they're going to be front-loading and they're going to be doing everything possible. It's going to be good news for free agents. That's for darn sure. But, you know, let's just put it this way. Dropping the salary cap didn't exactly stop teams from spending any kind any kind of money. 
right? Impactful guaranteed contracts at $2.65 billion. That's what we just went through last March. So to me, there's no turning back now. Now you've, now you've inflated the salary cap, an absurd amount of money. And you've, you were already on a path where teams were going to spend. You've got quarterbacks hitting the open market. You've got quarterbacks in trade rumors. You're going to have three or four teams completely overhaul their rosters because of veteran quarterbacks coming in. You know, Denver, the Raiders, the Dolphins, possibly, the Panthers, possibly, Pittsburgh, possibly. You know, you bring in, you change something that drastic and they're going to quickly try to build around it immediately. That's why this is happening. It's happening because teams don't give a crap about dead cap anymore. And they're willing to take those baths to add big time players via trades, via major free agent moves. So uh, to me, the path was always going up regardless of the pandemic. And I understand that a lot of owners lost a hell of a lot of money here. I'm not being insensitive to that, but the league was too damn strong to do what they did last year. And now what they have to do what they're doing this year, which is writing the ship, maybe even correcting a mistake, something the NBA went through five, six years ago. And we had the, the, the blueprint right in front of us. Don't do this. Don't go this route. Just keep it neutral and adjust accordingly afterwards. It'll be a, it'd be a seven, $8 million bump is all it would need to be. If we were at 199 or 198, you could take it to 208 in 2022, where we are now, and everything would be kind of status quo. Everybody would have the same tempered process, budgeting, you know, accounting process, and you wouldn't have a 2020 draft class or free agent class that was screwed and a 2021 current roster that had to get crunched. So many cap casualties, so many restructures. And now you got a 2022 free agent class that's going to benefit greatly in terms of structure and front front loaded contracts and bonuses. So it's just a bit of a yin and yang. And I knew this was going to happen. I, this was always the writing on the wall when they dropped that salary cap. And it just, uh, it was unnecessary in my opinion, but that's my opinion. It's one man's opinion. The league's going to do what they're going to do. And here we are. Good news is it's back to 208 and whatever deficiency in spending they thought they had last year can come back. All right, Scott, it's been a while since you've been on the show. I wanted to get a chance specifically for this because you had, uh, you've had these kind of ideas before and it's been kind of multi-sport, but specifically with baseball, where, where we're going today is the Athletic did a great piece not too long ago and I've seen many kind of conversations percolate from it since about just how exciting this past November was for Major League Baseball offseason signings because the CBA was a hard deadline here, December 2nd. And, you know, you and I have had our fun with Major League Baseball with the way that they go about their business in terms of a, a midseason draft. You know, they, they give out their MVPs at 11 p.m. on a Tuesday. There's just a lot of really simple marketing things that I think Major League Baseball does poorly in, in an age where it's so easy to make a big deal out of anything with social media and, and the streaming services. So we're here. Major League Baseball kind of led the day here for the past couple of weeks because of a good free agent crop that signed early before this thing got shut off. I assume you're completely on board with this whole idea of how do we kind of capture this on an annual basis, right? Oh, absolutely. They, they have to, you know, when, when we had the instances a few years ago, when there were no signings whatsoever until the 11th hour, uh, you know, that's bad for major league baseball, especially for how long their off season is. You got to think that whenever the world series ends, what is it? Five days after free agency so, sort of starts and they've got like <laughs> sort of five is right, months. By the way. Nobody even knows it's happening. <laughs> Right, exactly. And and they have like five months of signing, whereas in the NBA, you have like a month between your end of season and start of new league year NFL. You go from, you know, it's about a month and a half a between yeah. February to March, mid-March. So, you know, you have and same in the NHL, you know, so. So you, do you want to start has, there, man? Let's, let's take that month because I think that's an important part of this whole philosophy. So, you know, the month we just had was just open market, everybody having a field day. There was a quick kind of three, four day turnaround on qualifying offers. We knew 99% of them were going to be bogus and get turned down, which they were. I believe only Brandon Belt signed his. So I think that's right. Brandon Belt. Um, you know, but if you think about that for like an NFL standpoint, you know, the franchise tag process is two and a half weeks. It's all everybody's talking about. There's different, you know, there's different financial ramifications to it. There's a deadline to sign those players, which is, you know, July. It's a long way out. But every every part of the NFL offseason has some sort of cutoff date. 
You know what I mean? Everything, whether it's a short a short window or a longer window like this franchise tag one. Whereas we kind of stumble through this long offseason of Major League Baseball. We, you know, starting with when it starts, when it ends, you know, but just to give a timeline. So November 8th, I believe, was the start date this year because of the, the World Series. Pitchers and catchers don't report until like Valentine's Day on average. So that's your window. It's a huge window. And I think you're right. Just throwing everything into the bucket at once, like baseball does, couldn't be a worse approach. They need to segment this thing, which is where you're going with this. So, so give me that first month of the NBA offseason, because I, I have to tell you, the more that I read and the more research we do and the more things we pump out, I, I don't know why you wouldn't just model the NBA with everything. <laughs> you know, they just, and they're a 12-month sport when, they, when there's no reason they should be. Um, so let's just talk NBA. What, what does that first month look like from a financial standpoint, too? Because I know even that's unique to that sport. Yeah. So, I mean, it is soon, you know, and if we're talking off season when player uh, teams are not in the playoffs anymore, mm-hmm. technically those teams can make trades in that calendar or league year. And the ones that are in the playoffs can't make trades. So technically there, there could be movement, but there it's rare until the, you know, the, the finals are done. And then in limbo between the finals and the actual new league year moratorium, you know, they can, all teams can still make trades in that league year. You have your draft lottery. You have your draft itself leading up into, you know, that July moratorium where you have a six day period where there's the new quote unquote negotiations. And then after that, then you have your actual signings. And then at th- that actual month of, you know, free agency, you have your actual signings but th- because the timing is really important, you have some guys that may not sign until the late end of July because of, you know, rights and wanting to manipulate your, your cap space accordingly. So there's a lot of manipulation and, and timing in the NBA because of that. I'm trying to think if any of these other sports could tolerate living in that current financial year for a month. Because you and I were kind of struggle with that with ba- with basketball, right? So, you know, a player. Let's just give an example. Um, Dame Lillard. You know, Portland has a d- disastrous season. They miss the playoffs this year, and Portland decides they are going to trade Dame Lillard. They do it, you know, June first or whatever. Um, in that month, you know, there's still playoffs happening. The you know the Bucks and the Suns and all those teams are are actively playing in the postseason. Portland's sitting home and they decide they're going to get, get rid of Dame right now. That follows 2021 financials. It does. It impacts. So, you know, the salary matching, everything that has to go about to get an NBA trade done is looking at 2021 numbers, not 2022. Even though the regular season for Portland is completely done, <laughs> the entire year's done, they're still operating in that current league year. Is that something that other leagues should consider? Because it's a it's got tax ramifications, big ones. Right. Well, for the current season, no, no, there are no tax ramifications. As soon as that last regular season day is done, everything locks. So as far as trade purposes, it is strictly based off the cap. There are no, you know, retroactive uh, ramifications outside of incentives that may be earned during the playoffs themselves. So so there's it's just a complete limbo move. It's just it's just a cash for cash swap is all it is at that point. In it, but it it can only happen with the teams that are not in the playoffs anymore. So and and to be frank, I, I'm not I'm surprised more teams don't take advantage of right. knowing if there is going to be a cap increase or that player salary is going to increase. Obviously, you have to have teams that want to play ball. But if you know going into a you know a, an off season and you have a player that you may not want and you can make a trade with you know, players that are already locked up to a multi-year deal that can be traded, then, you know, it may behoove those teams to do so. Hmm. Now, the NBA is really unique because, you know, we were just talking right before we jumped down here. The uh, the NFL and the NHL off-seasons, they allow teams to sign – pending free agent extensions ahead of time to their own guys Mm -hmm. leading up to 
the off season, the new league year, and then guys are free to go into the market and sign. NBA does not have that. They cannot sign their free agent players. Like if going into this last off season, Steph Curry, he signed his off. He was a bad example. He wasn't a free agent. Um, I'm trying to think of someone off the top of my head that was a free agent. Kyle Lowry. Yep. You know, he he could have, under the rules of the NFL and NHL, if they followed those stipulations, they could have signed him ahead of time and then he could have been a free agent. But NBA doesn't work that way. He cannot negotiate or do anything until that moratorium starts. So there are no quote-unquote negotiations with those players they can't come up with the deals or anything like that so um it, it's so, a unique but, but situation to that point it, that's why it's really important in the nba to find out who's got one year left in their contract because of that previous offseason right the, the offseason leading up to the expiring contract year is the the basically the team's last chance to extend that player so you know, I'm sure there's a name out there right now that I can't think of, but there's somebody out there right now, a major player who's in the last year of their contract, who you know is going to hit the open market because there's no and, there's no way for him not to at this point. Correct, and and I, I like that because it it is a deadline to some extent for those certain players. Yeah. So in Major League Baseball, to go back to that, there there are no real deadlines for extensions or like I said off the top everything is all in one basket for four months and it can happen whenever I think if there were was a designated timeline where extensions have to happen by then free agent happens or you know like you so said let's use Rizzo right or excuse me uh Freddie Freeman let's use Freddie Freeman with Atlanta what if the Braves knew this entire year that he he was going through the open you know what I mean like what if what if there was a cutoff last right. March first that if you don't extend your 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 unrestricted veteran free agents by by March first, then they're going to be hitting the open market on November eighth or whenever that that timeline is. If they're going to be available to everybody else immediately, there's no other chance for you to keep them outside of trading them. Obviously, you know by the deadline. I just think that would ramp up so much more. You know you know. It, it's an earlier deadline than than's even being proposed here, right? It's it's let's not even worry about rushing free agency into November. Let's cut off the ability for the current team to keep keep rights of this player for the entire year leading up to their free agency. In other words, and, and this is kind of a, a benefit of what the NBA is doing, they're making sure that pretty much every free agent class has a decent crop of players. You know, because there's just a there's just going to be a bunch of players, you know, tier two, above average players that teams don't want to extend early. You know, and baseball is going to have plenty of those players where you know I, I don't know that the Braves would have given Freddie Freeman an, an early extension last year, even though he was the MVP in 2020. Um, but way way harder decisions to make if you have to do it the year leading up to the free agent year versus all right now we're here we can draw it out. Other teams can draw it out. They can battle back and forth for two, two and a half months, basically behind the scenes. And baseball doesn't benefit from it. And to me, that's the biggest part of it is you could be okay with the current model. And I, I bet there's, you know, in Britt's article here on The Athletic, I, she's about half the league, it sounds like, is perfectly fine with the way things are. Probably because they like the slow pace, the, you know, take your time. All right, give me an offer. What do you think? What's Boris doing with this guy versus this guy? It, they kind of like to be able to sit back a little bit and, and and let things go, which is fine because they do have the calendar time. There's four, you know, three and a half months here to do it. But it's baseball as a sport and as a marketability sport is not benefiting at all from this because things are just kind of happening and petering along. So to me, the whole league needs to benefit from the fact that negotiations are happening or transactions are happening and how do we get those things to the top billing? How do we get those under the ticker on ESPN and Fox Sports and all that good stuff? Uh, it's not shallow to think like that. Am I, am I incorrect, Scott? No, I don't think so. Yeah. And, and even if even if there wasn't a deadline at the beginning of the uh, beginning of the season, say March first, like you said, yeah. you know, even if it was pushed until let's call it December first, yeah, give them, give them, them a the month, one month where it's basically uh, one month your where own you can sign only. your own. So yeah. the Atlanta Braves would have one month to negotiate with 
Freddie Freeman to bring him back on whatever deal that they want so they can sign their own. As soon as December 2nd hits, he's free to sign with whatever team that he wants to. So, you know, it would it would allow those teams to, you know, plan accordingly, but it gives a actual deadline for those players that are within your own system and, you know, because we know deadlines spur action. <laughs> so if there's at least a a, a date on the table, there's something to shoot for. Otherwise you can sign Freddie Freeman on November 9th, or you can sign him in February or, you know, there, there's just so much limbo, which is where, you know, the NFL works out because they have a deadline for the franchise and yeah. transition tag. Then there's the free agency. Then there's post June 1st deadlines. There's <laughs> deadlines for, you have to sign your free agents by otherwise they're this or that mm-hmm. you have your compensation picks fifth year, your, your comp yep. picks, right? You have your fifth year options that have to be, you know, figured out by, so they have so many deadlines within that off season that having an off season from, you know, mid January for some teams all the way yep. to September, they actually have a, a longer off season than, the major league baseball, but because they have all these deadlines built within we as fans and we as spot track tracking everything, we know that there's at least deadlines coming up to where those things are in the calendar year. So there's always conversation happening. It's not even that, right? Like, you know, we wake up every day and Schefter and, and Rappaport have something league league wide that they're explaining to us, right? Like even just this morning, I woke up, you know, I'm, I'm at rap sheet on Twitter. He's talking about the fact that today, and I knew it, I was about to tweet it myself, but today is going to be the day where Carson Wentz crosses the threshold for snaps that Dix takes that first round pick back to Philadelphia and the, in the trade this past season. So it's just, it, he's building the calendar. He's building the timeline. And that's ba- one of his big jobs is just to report these little segmented windows in the league throughout the entire year, all 12 months. That should be Ken Rosenthal, right? Like we should be looking to Ken Rosenthal every week for what's happening this week in baseball. Not, not long form stories and you know they're all good. They're there and they have some traction. But what it, this week specifically is is most important to the baseball season timeline. Right now, it's just a garbly goo. It's just a pile of everything mixed together. It, the whole year needs to be treated like a television program with segments or a radio program with segments, right? like you just laid out for the NFL. I love the idea of the first month, and I want to expand one thing on it. If the first month is, is, is current team only, like you're talking about, should signing trades become a thing? <laughs> well, it, it, yeah. Signing trades, or do they have to go the route of the NBA where if you sign your own own player in that month time period, is there a restriction before they can be traded you know, can they, is it a six months where you can't, they can't be traded until, you know, April 1st or Mar- uh, May 1st or something like that. So that they're not just signing in that first month and having to be traded. Or if you go your route, sign and trade where there has to be some compensation coming back. But if there's a sign and trade, you know, in the NBA, it works out with the sign and trade because you have to match salary. So is there a situation where, in Major League Baseball, you're going to have to force them to match some sort of salary so that you're you're not just signing a guy and then getting two prospects that we're never going to hear for five year, uh, five years down the road. You know, do, do do you have to force the transaction? Scott, I, don't, I don't know that you do. I, I really, I, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. It could be just a complete salary cap dump, which is really going against everything we're fighting for right now in the CBA. Um, to some degree, you'd still have a bidding war for the better players. You know what I mean? You'd still, I, I think, I wonder if that's not a phase two to it. I, I would just like the ability to, for, because I'm just thinking as a fan, you know, just, just pick any team. It doesn't have to be one of the teams that got all the way, but, but let's just say the Braves, I guess, because we're on that. The Braves who get to all, all the way through the season, they're the last team standing. Literally the next morning, you have to wake up and those Braves beat reporters have to be pumping out off-season info immediately because it literally, they're on like a three to four day window here to get this out. So it, right. it, it immediately has to go from Freddie Freeman finally gets his ring to this guy's wide open. Like who the hell is going to sign him now? It, it, that's that's a brutal timeline. And, and it's a brutal timeline for the fans trying to interact with this process. 
versus if if this one month moratorium existed, now it's all about your team, good or bad, right? If you're an Orioles fan, it's one more month you have to live with this current roster and, and understand who's in, who's out, who's tradable, all that stuff. You know who's qualifying offer processes. That, but we'd have a month to digest our current team in an off-season mode. You know what I mean? Like a real off-season mode and make some assessments and make some projections. And then whatever hasn't happened by December 1st, now the floodgates open. Now there's a, now, like, there's a hard line in the sand where the rest of the league can get involved. How about this? Maybe We'll make this our last point because I don't want to you know project too much without having a CBA to kind of back us up. Well, let me, let me yeah, stop you there. It, all, it also allows Major League Baseball themselves to breathe. Yeah. You know, it allows them to see what the landscape is going to be. Well, they get the awards out in a, in a, in a more open that, process, right? That, that's where I was going to go next. What awards. I understand that their draft is in the middle of, you know, what June, yeah. but maybe that's a contention that, ha- that they have to shift their draft to the off season. So, you know, they can, have something in this is why the NFL rules they the offseason because they used to be their draft was in April, but they knew things went on in April, so they kicked it back to the end of April, May, so, so that something was going on in every month. Major League Baseball needs something to happen in every month so that it's keeping the fans engaged, the beat reporters have a time to breathe, the, the league has a time to breathe. I just think we just need a they proper could, run up, you know? We need a, a calm before the storm yes. to debrief off of what is a marathon season anyway. And then, like I said, we all just need to get our ducks in a row collectively so that we can ramp up to an open market system. And if if that includes you know your team negotiating heavily with some of your free agents, I think that's even better because it, it stays localized. It stays regionalized, which is where the, the league is going anyway. You know, The league is struggling with anything that has to be national right now. And that's a big, big point of contention. So to me, this is a no brainer. If you keep it, you know, everything's within your own team, self-negotiating for uh, three to four weeks. What about this? Scott Boris floated this out about, eh, boy, it might've been three years ago now. Not so much the idea of an early sign versus a late sign. I've I've seen a lot of this, right? Should teams be rewarded for signing somebody in November versus February? And and whether that's compensation, whatever it's going to be. Uh, Boris has has talked about two things from the team level, which is one, is there some sort of tax deduction for keeping a player of your own, almost like a franchise sort of delegation, you know, regardless of how long the contract, it could be a 13 year contract, but is there some sort of, of tax AAV reduction to keeping your own? Well, if there was that one month moratorium, like we're talking about, Scott, that's exactly where this happens. You know what I mean? If the Braves yeah. extend Freddie Freeman within this one month window, that's the benefit they get. So if they sign him for 20 million, maybe he only counts 18 and a half against their tax because of the veteran franchise tendered, you know, uh, uh, deduction. I think that's fascinating as hell. And then you're saying after say December 1st, if he's in the open market, then it would be, if, as if is. they sign him back, they got to, they got to pay the full 20. Yep. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that idea because it incentivizes the teams to sign the guys that they want and, you know, a legacy. So you, if Freeman wants to be there as a brave for the rest of his career, then, you know, you're at least getting some reduction off of that tax and whatever that tax uh, threshold is going to be. But then if you don't get it locked up, then you, you take the hit, you know? Yeah. I, I like that idea. We've had some similar conversations over the years we here have. with, you know, franchise tags or legacy and, or max salaries in the NBA. We we've had a lot of different scenarios that we've come up with. I, I think that one makes sense if they give that one month moratorium, because then you have, it makes that, December 1st deadline, even more imperative for signing your own guys. But again, if you, I I think if you go that route, then there needs to be some sort of language written in that if you get this tax reduction and you trade this player at any time during the contract, it reverts back to a normal AAV and in the team that is getting uh, the player themselves doesn't get that advantage. I, I agree with that. 
I agree with that. But again, it's we're, we're building the container for these kind of kinds of ideas, right? November is now this container for some sort of creativity creativity for the current team for the players who are about to hit the open market. That doesn't exist. You you said it a couple of times, and it's really made me think of this. Isn't the easiest fix right out of the gate just to say December first is our day? Yes. I, I mean. Everybody in the free world knows July 1st is the NBA's day and it's the NHL's day and it's English Premier Soccer's day. We just all know it. Now, there's a bit of a sliding scale with football, but not really. It's March 13, 14, 15, 16. It's one of those four days. We all know exactly what what week it's going to fall under. It's just there, there is a bit of a semantics based on how the season you know bears itself out. But to me, that's the easiest fix. Let's just make this thing December 1st every damn year, every year. That's the day. And we can build some sort of run up to it with these, some of these ideas if, if, if it's possible. But that has to happen right out of the gate as it is. You mentioned the draft. I've done a lot of research on this just to understand. And obviously, it has to do with the colleges, right? These kids graduate college or they're out of college in May, end of May. They're playing their season into June sometimes for Omaha. And then Major League Baseball jumps in at that point with their draft and they take on some of these graduating seniors. I, I, to some degree, Scott, I, I don't think that's movable. They may move it to July a little bit to give it a little bit of breathing room, but you want to you want to benefit off the College World Series. You know what I mean? You, it, it's a, actually a really w- well watched uh, you know couple of weeks out in Omaha. There, you want to take the big names that that hit there on ESPN, by the way, and and get those guys onto teams as quickly as possible so that you have a little bit of juice. You know, bringing yourself into the Major League Baseball system, even though they sit for two years and do nothing. Can I push back on that? Go ahead. I, by the, the way, NFL, I've got, I've the, got an, 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 an or to that statement too, so go ahead. The NFL has their draft yeah. in late April, May, that first weekend. The NCAA is done by the first, second week of January. Then they have their senior bowl, and then they have yep. a draft combine. It, baseball could do the exact same thing. To bring these college, college kids to the All-Star ends, game. They have an all. They have a college all-star or seniors game. Sure. They have a combine where the Major League Baseball actually does some sort of televised situation where we're watching kids yeah, pitch. We're watching. We're, we're watching. You know, home run derbies yeah. for these seniors or whatever. And then you go into a draft in your off season. I just think outfield it, throws. It's all good stuff, yeah, Scott. Yeah, it, it, it's all it's, good stuff. It, it, Major League Baseball is missing a huge opportunity in their offseason to promote. And this is why, you know, the the NFL is doing what they do. NBA e- even has their draft combine and that kind of stuff. And then they have their, you know, their summer league after their draft. Huge. So, you know, I know there's summer ball or winter ball for, you know, in Major League Baseball. Th- those kids could be part of that or whatever. I just think that they're with their draft being in – June in the middle of the season when the all-star is going to, you know, it it just gets lost in translation with everything else that's going on between, you know, NBA, NBA off season, EPL, like you said, NHL, we're all focused on those off seasons and the drafts and everything with that, where major league baseball is trying to shove it into our throats. But, it's so far behind on the back burner that no one knows about it. So if they were to shift their entire calendar to, you know, for a lack of a better scenario, own November, own December by shifting December 1st as their hard deadline, they could own two months of a time frame within the NFL season and NBA's ramping up, but NBA, we know for the most part, for those that really watch, don't watch until Christmas. So they have a, you know, a, a two month span that they could really own to a, a transactional situation. See, I'm not even sure you have to move the draft. I, I, I think your idea is strong enough just as it is. Like, let's say they move the draft into the middle of July, which I've seen Florida out there quite a bit. Um, you could still do a post-college combine, just like you're talking about. To me, that's a slam dunk. It's a home run. You bring the top prospects around. You let them show off. You make it a TV show. Yeah, but you don't want it during your actual MLB season. I don't think it matters. It's gonna, it, it's, I, they're two separate pipelines. I really don't think it matters. You just want to get it out there more is my point. You know what I mean? And, and, if, I, and, I and if it gets to a point where you, you, you're right, it has to be exclusive, I, I think putting anything against football is just suicide. <laughs> I just but, do. <laughs> but, 
but I do because the fact that we don't know really any of these names. So if you put them on TV, even if you're going to get, you know, but couldn't you just do this during the all-star week? Yes. If you, that's what maybe I if you, maybe if you shifted your all-star week to be instead of a week off or whatever, it made it a two week ordeal yeah. where you, you gave those players, uh, but the league a, still a, wins, right? Cause the league's getting ratings on this combine now. I, I, I think right. that, I think the calendar part of it's probably not super bad, but they just have to promote it in a better way, in a more segmented way. Like we're talking about last thing you mentioned November for this. I have another thing they can do in November. It could have just happened about a week and a half ago. The, the international signing period, one of them, opens up in November. There's July, there's November. And that's generally when these guys are being pulled in. The same conversation should be happening with international signings because guess what? They're everywhere in this league, everywhere. They are the top paid players. They are all over these rosters and there's more coming. It should be a formal thing. I don't know if you go to the combine route, but it should be a formal, here's the week, Let's have a television show. Let's all of us talk about it. Which teams fit best? Let's have a, a, a... It should be driving an entire week's conversation because these guys are making major impacts on this sport and we're just kind of flippantly letting them sign on to teams as a tweet right now, you know? And I, I, I do think that's got to start to ramp up because that might even be more important than the draft for a lot of teams right now is locking in those major international signings. What, what are their bonuses? What's their timeline to get to the major leagues? What do they have to do? Uh, they're just too important to this sport right now just to kind of gloss over two times throughout the year, especially in November when there's nothing else going on, you know? So that to me, that's got to be formalized as well. There's a lot. There's really a lot to talk about here. Yeah, I agree. I, and again, I go back to if if you have some sort of showcase, yeah. the, the average to elite fan is going to know those names then. And when they come up or what, what you know, farm system, it, you're going to generate more conversation about those players instead of you just randomly hearing a name and you have no idea who it is, or even if they get traded as a prospect, at least you may remember something from a combine esque situation, you know, whether they're, they're, they're doing hitting drills or, you know, throwing the ball and hitting targets or whatever it may be, even if it's gimmicky, those are the things that fans <laughs> like to, to watch. Yeah, exactly. And that's why the draft combine is huge every year. People will watch. They'll just throw it on their TV and walk by. And it, because it, to a certain extent, it is gimmicky um, because you get to see guys running 40 yard dashes and, and, yeah. and benching and all these other things. Um, so anything that the major league baseball can do to, promote the players ahead of time is a huge win, whether, you know, it's, it's draft prospect or these international prospects. No arguments here. Good stuff, man. We'll talk soon. All right. My thanks to Scott. And of course to the athletic where this article kind of birthed visit the athletic.com slash spot track S P O T R A C for 40% off your first year subscription. And please check out balancedbridge.com for all your guaranteed earnings, funding, investment process today. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.